Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Welcome to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, a podcast mini-series that seeks to empower and support women who are on the journey of growing and scaling their business. We'll speak with inspiring women about their stories and get practical advice from entrepreneurs who've been there before. This podcast has been created in partnership with Albright. Thank you for joining us. Hello, and thank you for joining us. My name's Sam Cooper-Gray, and I'm the Head of Market Strategy and Engagement for HSBC Business Banking. And I'm super excited to talk to you today about the HSBC War Programme and our billion-dollar female fund, both of which are part of my business. Today, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Julia Elliott-Brown, to talk to us about female entrepreneurship and share her expertise and wisdom around funding. Julia is the founder and CEO of Enter the Arena. With 25 years experience in high-grade startups across multiple sectors, she has successfully raised millions of pounds from equity, finance from angels, from VC to crowdfunding. In our conversation today, we're going to explore the challenges for female entrepreneurs around securing such funding and hear Julia's advice for helping women who are looking to get on that funding journey. So let's move to the first question for Julia. And to give it some context, we know that female entrepreneurs face significant challenges when it comes to raising funding. In the UK, a recent survey by the British Business Bank said that less than 1% of VC funding goes to women. And that's an even smaller amount for women of colour. So, Julia, to start us off, can you tell us what your views are on the landscape for women who are competing for funding and what can we do to support them on that entrepreneurship journey? So it's about helping women see how they can take more risk, how they can be bolder, how they can reach for the stars, giving them that confidence boost to go out there and do it. And sometimes that is the most important thing in my experience with female founders is someone saying to them, I believe in you and I think you can do this and let's help you get there. Society over hundreds, thousands of years has made women feel like we can't go out there and do these things. And we have to reverse that, that mindset. Yeah, and it is, I think it is that, that's a really key part, isn't it, of, you know, society is, is kind of telling us, I was going to say subtly, I'm not sure it's so subtle, <laughs> um, telling us kind of one thing around, just because that's what you see, right? Because you see more male entrepreneurs, you see more male leaders of business, Therefore, it's about giving the women the confidence to go, do you know what, actually, you know, this is the way I want to navigate it. How do I work out how to navigate it rather than just trying to echo what some of what the men they've seen do it before? And, and that's really pertinent to my next question, actually, because it absolutely sounds like that is coming from a place of experience, shall we say? <laughs> so what are the particular moments or experiences you've had on your journey when you've been fundraising that really inspired you to found into the arena to help other women? Yeah. Well, my last business was um, a fashion tech company called Upper Street, where you could design your own shoes. And I think a couple of years into that business, we decided that we would need funding to be able to scale. So I think starting into the arena comes from three things, really, that I learned along the way. One was when we first went out to go and get funding, 
we didn't really know what we were doing. So this is my, my sister and I who had this, this business together and I was leading the fundraising piece here in the UK. Went straight for the VCs because that's what we kind of heard about in the market. And I think wasted an awful lot of time and energy speaking to the wrong type of investors at the wrong stage of our business when we actually didn't really have all of our ducks in a row. We weren't totally clear about our growth strategy. We didn't really have the sophisticated, robust financial model that we needed to be able to have those conversations with, with investors. We didn't understand the language of investment. And so going out, speaking to VCs when we were trying to do our first raise, I felt really out of my depth. And I think that came across. If you feel out of your depth, people are going to sense that. So that was the first thing that kind of made me realize that there was a lot to learn and I couldn't really find the right kind of support and advice that I needed as a female founder at that stage, particularly a business that was very female focused, speaking to an almost exclusively male investor audience. So that was the first thing. Then I kind of went away, licked my wounds, um, realized what I was doing wrong and worked very hard to fix all of those issues that I could see were holding me back for going out and raising investment. When I went back out to raise investment, um, what I learned was that it was actually 90% about my mindset and confidence. Because when I went back out for investment, I just felt like rock solid about what I was doing. And my philosophy then was kind of, I'm on this you know, rocket train to success. And do you want to join me and back my business and come along with that journey with me? It was such a different feeling. And that feeling was what I realized was unlocking the success in, in fundraising. And then the third thing really was as I became more successful at raising investment, we raised multiple rounds from multiple sources. I had so many other female founders coming to me saying, can I take you for a coffee and pick your brains and tell me, how did you do this? And I realized that it wasn't just me who was struggling with figuring out this stuff, but there were so many other female founders that felt quite lost. Now that business, unfortunately, didn't go on to be successful. I'm going to have to use the F word, not the, not the rebound, but you know, in the end it, it failed uh, for various reasons and we probably haven't got time to go into them. It often is the way with venture, not every company can be a unicorn. But when I took the decision to close that business with my investors, I did have to think, right, what am I going to do now? Because I'd spent seven years building my baby. But those lessons I'd learned about where I'd gone wrong, where it had gone well, and the fact that so many other female founders seemed to be experiencing this issue was what then led me to set up Enter the Arena to support other female founders going through that journey. So it's so insightful listening to you. As you say, we don't like the word, the, the, the F word, the new F word, we'll call it. <laughs> yeah. um, but it, it, it's a fundamental part of the learning process. And I'm sure there are women on the call who've, who've done the same and have run businesses that haven't quite worked out. But you take all of those learns away. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs will say, you're not really truly an entrepreneur until you've had a business that didn't make it because actually that's the thing that teaches you more than the success right and sticking with that as a as a theme then so you touched on the kind of starting point for business owners that your personal experience was working out who you should be pitching to knowing your business and, and navigating at the right stage for you in front of the right people is that is quite a big challenge of learning how to navigate so what would you say is the most important starting point for business owners when they're considering the options you can take for funding? 
I think the best place to start is always thinking about the end goal. And that's not always easy for female founders because we often start our businesses because of a passion, because we see a problem that needs solving, perhaps because we want to do something different with our lives, we want to switch up our work-life balance. And sometimes that can feel like a really male, you know, masculine thing. What's the goal? But actually, if you know that you want to build a business that is going to be global, that's going to impact millions of people all over the world, and that you want to build it quickly because you know that in the next five or seven years' time, this is where you want to be with your life. That's what you want to have achieved. You can then work backwards to figure out the funding journey that will get you there. So unless you can get clear on that, it could be quite difficult to decide what the best funding routes are for you. Because if you think you're going to need multiple rounds of finance to get there, you need to think quite carefully about the kind of investors you get on board to enable you to achieve that. It's quite complex, this whole fundraising thing. And many people you know, will just think, oh, I need this much money now, so I'm going to go out and raise that without thinking about what's coming in the future. And so we, we need to get better at taking that step back um, and looking at the future and, and thinking kind of quite strategically about this. So much of it is about knowing where you're going and where you are now and what the journey is going to be to get there. And that's the first piece of work you need to do when you're thinking about funding. And I think going back to what you were saying about your experience with your personal experience with fundraising, kind of the first couple of times is, is if you get that bit right, you know what your goal is. You're just more confident when you're walking and standing in front of investors and then you work out which are the right types of investors. And we're going to come to that in a second. I love what you said about goals. I think it's really interesting. It brings up to me a quote from Alice in Wonderland where Alice is chatting to the Cheshire cat and there were two forks in the road. And she says to the cat, which fork shall I take? And he says, where do you want to get to? And she says, I don't know. And his response to that is then it doesn't matter which fork you take. And I think that's a really good analogy for if you haven't got a clear goal, it's, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter which fork you take, but you're probably not going to get to where you want to because you haven't got that real specific goal. And I think you're right. Goals do sometimes feel a bit masculine, but actually it's all about having that focus, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and goals are movable. I mean, you know, you know we can change them. You know, and of course, when you're on that entrepreneurial journey, you know, you take that left path or that right path. Interesting things will happen along the way that might make you decide that you want to take a different path. And that's OK. And we have to yeah. keep re, you know, re-evaluating that. It's, it, and, it, you know, you can never map out your fundraising <laughs> journey and it, and it happened exactly as you thought. Yeah. And if you don't have any idea, then you are kind of operating at blind. Yeah. So touching on that seeking support, and I think, as you said, a lot of people, and you did it, you said, I went straight to the kind of VC level. But also there are often lots of different types of funding available. Can you share a bit of insight maybe of what are the alternative routes rather than just kind of purely going down that kind of venture capital route? I mean, venture capital or VC is, is not really not for everyone. Best suited to those businesses that need to go big quickly that are going to need potentially a lot of funding and multiple rounds of funding. And venture capital tends to be much more interested in tech businesses that have kind of reasonably low capital requirements, but can scale fast. And also they tend to be interested mostly in businesses that are quite far along already improving product market fit. So for those people who are earlier on in the journey or aren't that kind of business, I mean, I always say that Debt is something that is always really important to consider. 
Um, so taking a loan. And actually, there are some great schemes. You know, we've got the kind of the startup loan scheme in the UK. Obviously, HSBC have your fantastic female entrepreneur fund. Female founders can sometimes feel a bit scared about that. They're like, well, I, you know, I don't want to take that risk on. And I would always question that and say, well, if you're not prepared to take that risk on of taking out a loan and thinking about how you pay it back, why should you go out and try and get investors to back your business if you're not going to back yourself? So I think that is great, especially at the early stages. And also later, debt is always an option once you've got actual assets to back it against. So debt, grant funding. There, there are some great schemes in the UK that can enable you to access funding um, and um, Innovate UK is a, a, a fabulous government-led organization to, which is, can act, help you access a lot of that. When it comes to equity fundraising, so basically selling part of your business in return for cash, angel investors, so angel investors who are basically high net worth individuals who like to put their money into venture are a great option because they tend to be more patient capital, which means that they will wait longer to get a return on their investment um, and often can bring lots of skills and experience to help you along the way. They can sometimes be quite meddlesome. <laughs> <laughs> so with all these investors actually really checking for fit and doing your due diligence on them as much as them doing it on you is important. But angel investors are great. They can come in quite early um, and really support you on that journey. Crowdfunding is another great um, way to raise investment um, for female founded business, particularly women do really well in crowdfunding. I think that's partly because of the businesses that we tend to build. Um, we probably build more consumer businesses than B2B, not, you know, uh, generally. And crowdfunding is great because it means that everyday people can put money into your business. And so if your business is easily understood by the kind of everyday investor, it, it, it lends itself well to crowdfunding. And if you've got a business that has a lot of customers, fans, followers, a kind of tribe of people who love what you do, giving them an opportunity to put money into your business and be part of your success as you grow is a really amazing opportunity. And when you crowdfund, you can also bring in venture capital as well as angel investors, as well as your tribe. So I think it's a, it's a good tool. But again, a lot of founders are, are a bit scared of it because they think, oh my goodness, you know, if I crowdfund, I'm putting my business into the public domain. Everybody's going to see what I'm doing. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. And, and again, we have to get over that fear because unless we um, enter the arena to, to kind of use a, a play on the, the name of my business, unless we enter the arena, we're not going to make it happen. So we have to put our head above the parapet. Absolutely. And I think what's really interesting for me is it's not one or the other. I think a lot of people probably think, or oh, I either go the VC route or go the angel route or go the crowdfunding route, that actually at, at the same time, it might be a combination, but also as you journey through your business, it's definitely a combination of those things. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if I look back to my last business and our fundraising journey, we started with our own money and savings. We then got a business loan from HSBC. Thanks very much. Um, <laughs> we then um, had some angel investment. We then got VC investment. We then crowdfunded and we had angel syndicates and the VC and all of our customers and followers pile into that. So we kind of, you know, really did 
blend it all as we grew the business. Brilliant. How do you find the right investors that share your vision that, that potentially also have the right level of interaction? It's like a dating process, <laughs> to be honest with you. The first thing is getting really, really clear on what it is that you're looking for from investors and holding on tightly to that. That's really important because, you know, we, 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 it's not about going out to the market with a begging bowl and kind of saying, please, sir, I'd like some money. Again, it's saying, you know, this is what I'm looking for in terms of an investor and then trying to find that fit. So it's a courting process. It should feel like a conversation when you're meeting with investors and you're checking them out as much as they're checking you out. They need you as much as you need them. So, you know, that due diligence piece and that conversation is really, really important. Again, a lot of that comes more naturally and flows more naturally when we feel confident, when we know our stuff, when we know what we're looking for, when we know our strategy, when we know our numbers then you feel much more confident to have those conversations that are then very fluid. When we're nervous and uptight, that's when we go in kind of and just pitch to investors and then run away and hope that they <laughs> might invest. <laughs> Excellent. And, and I think um, I've heard other entrepreneurs say before that actually sometimes you say no to the investor as much as the investor saying no to you if you can't get that fit, right? It's not a or you want to you want to invest absolutely it's as you say it's that dating process and making sure it works for both yeah and, and you know what that can be one of the hardest things you ever do as a founder is saying no to money um, especially when things are tight especially when you can see that your runway is, is running out and it can feel like a really scary place to be another reason why you should always raise investment much earlier than you think so that you don't go out there like a rabbit in the headlights <laughs> it's just so important to have that confidence yeah and on that confidence piece I want to talk to you a little bit about pitching and the approach to pitching because I think as you said if you're not really clear on your goals you're not clear on what you know what you're pitching then you potentially pitch and run away mm -hmm. so getting that pitching process is why it's so important when it comes to funding so mm -hmm. your experience of supporting and guiding um, founders as well as raising your own funds what are the key factors that you've found the investors are relevant of what they are. Investors are always one. I mean, we've kind of touched on know your numbers and your passion, but what are the key kind of pillars that you would say need to be in every pitch? There's a lot of things that go into every pitch. Usually when I talk about this kind of thing, there's about 13 different pieces of content that go into it. Most investors will feel much more confident to back you if they can see that you have some product to market fit. So you're proving that the market wants what you've got. And sometimes you, you might not have a huge amount of proof, but some proof. And the more proof you have, the more it de-risks the opportunities for, for investors. So proof of product to market fit, I think is really important. Demonstrating that there is the possibility to really scale this business. Because there's no point if you've only got five customers and there are only ever going to be five customers, it's not really an investable business. So demonstrating that there is an opportunity to scale I would say is the second key thing. And the third thing really, especially at early stages, you, your capability as an entrepreneur, because at early stage, investors back the founder over and above an idea. They would rather back a mediocre idea with an amazing founder than a brilliant idea with a, with a subpar founder, because they know that you are going to come across a lot of roadblocks along the way. You're going to probably pivot your business three, four times along the journey. And your skills and capability and passion 
as a leader, to be able to bring people along with you, to resolve issues, challenges are the most important thing. They want to know that they can challenge you and you're going to take that well, that you're going to listen to what they have to say, that you're going to work really hard to make this work. And all of those things are around trust. And I think if there, were, if there was one word to think about here, it's about trust. All the time, investors are thinking, can I trust this founder? Can I give £100,000 to this founder or £500,000 or £3 million to this founder? And they're going, to, they're going to be able to turn it into 10 times that. That's really what they're thinking along the way. And they're thinking about that, that money piece, you know, which is the sort of the, the rational side of making investment. But they're also thinking with their heart. Is this founder going to make a difference in the world? Am I going to enjoy working with them? Both of those angles, but trust and you as the entrepreneur, the most important thing. Brilliant. Thank you. And, and if I flip it on its head, then what are some of the key don'ts when you're producing your deck? What are the things to be really careful of? The pitch deck is an interesting thing because it's just one of the tools that you use when you're securing investment. It's not the be all and end all. And we should never expect our pitch deck to do all the work for us. So I would say when you're putting together a pitch deck, a couple of things. First of all, think about what is this pitch deck for? Is it to send as a teaser to an investor to get a meeting with them? Don't give them too much information. You want to get a meeting. That's more important. Is it a deck that you're going to use to talk through the opportunity with an investor, which will be more, which will be a fuller deck? Is it a pitch deck that you're going to use to send to somebody after you've had a meeting? Or is it a pitch deck you're using to present to a, to a room full of investors? Very, very different pitch decks. So first of all, know what it's for and know your audience. Always very important. And then step away from the PowerPoint and think and plan out what it is that you want to say. What are the key points that you've got to get across and what's the narrative? And get that really, really clear before you then go back to PowerPoint because you are much less likely to get lost in multiple slides and clip art and <laughs> font size if you do it that way. And in fact, actually, I think it's always sensible as a founder, as an entrepreneur to to focus on what you're good at. And if you're not good at design, create the structure of what you want to say, and then hand it over to somebody who can create your pitch deck for you. <laughs> because why waste your time doing that? You should be doing other things. That's my view. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And and I'm going to go back to something we, we started talking about the, at the beginning, kind of the difference between kind of that feminine and masculine approach and the challenge that a lot of female entrepreneurs find, especially when they rock up in front of whether it's angel investors or VCs, where it's predominantly male. We know both are very male dominated. So have you experienced gender bias throughout your journey in securing funding? Can you tell us a little bit about that personal experience? Yeah, I have. And some of it was quite explicit but a lot of it was quite um subtle and insidious i would say and quite hard to spot so the obvious things were i would often get asked what my husband did for a living we wow. got we are going back some some years now it, it still happens a lot so that would be of great interest to investors what my husband did for a living, which to me felt irrelevant but it would often be followed up by a question around so am I working on this business part time? And is that my plan? And again, I think a lot of those gender assumptions possibly come from those people I was talking to who perhaps did have the big job in finance and whose 
wives maybe did stay at home and look after the children and work part-time. So there were a lot of assumptions would be made about that and we have to kind of overcome that. <laughs> I had two small children at the time when I was going out raising investment. My sister, my business partner was pregnant when we were raising investment and we would often get questions around that, how were we going to manage it? So there were some really quite explicit things, but other things were around the kind of questions that I got asked a lot of the time. And I, I didn't realise it at the time how limiting those were. I was pitching a business that was about shoes and I would get a lot of things like, is there really a market for shoes? <laughs> and I'd have to say, well, perhaps you should go home and have a look in your wife's wardrobe and see how many pairs of shoes she's got and how many she wears and doesn't wear. Because the investor I was speaking to didn't understand the problem directly, it, I had to work extra hard to get them to step into the shoes of my customer and understand why what we were doing was of value and why there was a problem that needed solving. And then a lot of these questions, which now I understand to be what you call preventative questions. So they're questions that are focused on the, the risks in your business rather than the opportunities in your business. So we know now that sort of two thirds of the questions that get asked to female founders are preventative, whereas two thirds of the questions they get asked to male founders are promotional. So for example, a female founder, and I found this all the time, would be asked, so how long will it take you to get to break even? So it's sort of, it's a little bit negative. Whereas a promotional question might be, well, what are the opportunities for you to monetize this business? Very subtle, differences and, and actually I would think most investors are totally unaware of it but those kind of questions that kind of get you a little bit defensive a little bit on the back foot and it kind of makes the conversation go in the wrong way and are very limiting and so that that can be quite challenging I definitely had a lot of that and, and the founders I work with now and unfortunately, a lot of this stuff is still very, very prevalent. And some of the very explicit gender bias that we, you know, we experience are quite shocking. Being asked out on dates, not on common. Um, totally inappropriate. Totally inappropriate. So we unfortunately are still battling against a lot of this stuff. You know, awareness is being raised. And the more progressive investors are actively looking at how to address this. But the, the reality is that as female founders, we have to deal with this stuff because the system is not going to change overnight. And so we have to find a way to duck and dive our way around it and prove to investors that we are absolutely capable of building incredible businesses. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the actual research, female-led businesses are incredibly successful. They tend to be more capital efficient as well. I think back to all of the things you've just talked about. So actually, they are a really good bet. So I think helping that from an education point of view into those VCs and seed funders is so important as well. One of the things we get asked quite a bit around is advice for businesses who are rejected for funding, either the first time or multiple times. What advice would you give to, to a business that's been rejected a number of times? And I think maybe that touches on some of the advice you've given. Maybe there are some learns for them. But is there anything specific if you've had a rejection, any advice you would give? It's quite tricky to give generic advice around this because there can be all sorts of reasons for rejection. Yeah. I think as much as you can do to find out from that investor why they rejected you, that's really important. But the reality is most investors haven't got the time or the inclination to give you proper feedback. So they'll give you a brush off because they, they, they haven't got time. 
So to diagnose why, it needs professional advice because it could be something wrong with the, the overall company and the business proposition. It could be something wrong with the commercials and the way you've structured it. It could be something wrong with the valuation, the raise amount. It could be something wrong with the way you're communicating the business, the, the narrative and how you're positioning that to investors. It could be something wrong with the types of investors you're speaking to. It could be something wrong with the way that you are operating in that meeting. And investors aren't going to give you an in-depth look at that. So it, I think trying to get that feedback from investors on the spot, but if you're constantly being rejected, to be able to take that step back. But I think if you can get some professional support and advice to help you diagnose where you're going wrong and think about how you might take yourself up several levels on any of those aspects of raising investment, you will then have a better chance of success. But, you know, on the other hand, rejection is part of raising investment. <laughs> you do get a lot of no's. So just because you're getting no's doesn't necessarily mean something is wrong. But it, you know, if you're getting nothing but no's and you're finding you're yeah, not yeah. making any progress, I think it is sometimes time to take, take a step back yeah. and get some advice. Brilliant. Excellent. Thank you. So I've got one final question. What do you wish you knew then that you know now? You know, I think... Honestly, as an entrepreneur, I spent an awful lot of time just trying to do everything by myself. I mean, it's maybe it's a personality type. I'm the sort of person that hates asking anyone for directions, you know, while I'm lost, <laughs> I'm going to figure it out myself. And I think, I, I, you know, I wish I had taken more professional advice and support. So there's a little bit of kind of checking your ego. <laughs> And I wish someone had checked my ego back then and said, actually, Julie, you cannot do all of this stuff. Partly it was maybe because I couldn't find the right people that I trusted um, to support me on that journey. I, I, I found there were a lot of guys in suits who come from investment banking who'd never been entrepreneurs, who didn't really know what it was like going through my journey, didn't know what it was like pitching a business, a, a female-led business with a female-focused product to investors. So that's probably the advice I would give my younger self is just, you know, check your ego and get some help where you need it. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you, firstly, Julia. Really interesting to hear about your business, your experience and some of that advice. The things I've taken away, the really big pieces I've taken away, that goals piece is a really clear one. Be really clear on your goals, even if they change as you go through your entrepreneur journey. Build trust with the people who you're looking to get investment from your business are relevant of, of who they are and have that confidence. And that goes back to that goal piece. If you're really clear where you want to go, then have the confidence to really stand up for it and, and be confident and put, put your whole self behind it. And, and I think the final thing I've taken away is really interesting around that pitching piece. And I think you're right, we're all really, especially if you've come from a corporate world and become an entrepreneur, and I say that in the corporate space, we always start with a PowerPoint. <laughs> um, but actually, the, the phrase you used I really liked was pitching is about the narrative. And then you build the different pitch decks you need for the different purposes of, of what you need. So that was a big takeaway for me, that, the goals and the confidence. So thank you, really appreciate your time today. You've been listening to Inspiring Progressive Female Entrepreneurs, HSBC's podcast mini-series dedicated to supporting women on the path of growing and scaling their own businesses. To access more resources for female entrepreneurs, please refer to the description of this podcast. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. 
We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.